Welcome back in. This is mile 25 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thank you for listening. Benji, how are you, buddy? I'm amped. Amped? Amped. That's a new word for this podcast. (laughs) It's good to have you in, man. Uh, We are going to have a great interview with former Greenville Track Club elite runner Ryan Root coming up in a little bit. Ryan just had a huge marathon PR and is off to the Olympic trials in Atlanta next year. But first, there has been a whole bunch of great track and road racing action since we talked to you last. So, Ben, where should we start? On neither of those topics. Let's go to cross country. Cross country. Okay. (laughs) We'll begin with cross country. And what has happened in the world of cross country? Uh, We saw what might have been the deepest women's U.S. cross country championship. I would agree with that. One heck of a race. Coming out on top? Shelby Houlihan. Shelby Houlihan, the darling of the track in 2018. Turns out to be pretty good on grass at the 10K distance as well. Out kicking Molly Huddle down the stretch with a huge surge, just poured it on over the last about 600 or so. And so Shelby looks like America's best hope at distances ranging from 1,500 to 10K, maybe, going forward. It seems that way. I believe that she has already declined the invite to the World Championships, which she made the team here. But the Bowerman team in general, the women, were absolutely dominant in the U.S. Cross Country Championships in Tallahassee. Now let's go to the roads or the track, or which one do you prefer? Let's stay with the Bowerman theme and okay. go to the track. Track it is. And where do we start there? Let's go to the Milrose Games and specifically the Wanamaker Miles. Yes, Milrose Games just this weekend in New York City at the historic Armory on the indoor track. The Wanamaker Miles, both men's and women's, were exceptional races with two absolute studs out in front. I think we should go to the men first. Yomif Kajelcha, 348-46. That's a pretty significant number because as you and I watched this, we were kind of losing our minds as he came down the stretch. How close was this to the fastest indoor mile man has ever run? We were .01 seconds from the world record for the mile indoors. One one-thousandth of a second from Yomif setting a world record he had said publicly for several weeks that was the target. The pacer took them out almost dead on the number, and then he had to do all the work coming home. And we spent time wavering back and forth between thinking, oh yeah, he's doing it for sure, and uh-oh, I don't think he's going to do it. And then it's ticking away, and it's almost surreal that it's this close to breaking a record that as you said is older than the winner of the women's Wanamaker mile it is it stood for 22 years and it'll stand at least a little bit longer I'd also point out in second and third in this race while all the action was seemingly up front that's where the coverage was Edward Cheserick and Clayton Murphy both ran really great races in second and third as well yeah both uh coming in at 353 And being gamers that first half of the race, they weren't really intimidated by the world record pace. And almost at one point, it looked like they were going to be in contention halfway through. Yeah, they hung on to it and said, let's use this as our opportunity to run really fast and compete as well. Clayton was coming off having just run a flat track indoor 800 meter world record previously on the JDL fast track in North Carolina. 
And also worth noting in the men's race, in fifth place was Oliver Hoare from Wisconsin, setting a new NCAA number one mark, coming in at 3.54 for the mile. Breaking a mark that had just been set About recently before, before that. Yeah. Yes. From Ole Miss, we saw a, what was it, 3.56 got from, set. Yes, uh, from sophomore Walid Suleiman. Yes, put up that number, and then Oliver immediately broke it. Great day in general for Wisconsin runners, right? Absolutely. Uh, in the men's 3,000, we saw Morgan McDonald set a school record at 7.42, missing out on the win by 0.1 seconds. Woo! And then in the women's race, we saw Alicia Monson have a 20-second personal best, I believe it was, in the women's 3K, outkicking world medalist and coming in at 8.45. Yeah, and she rode in lane two for like the last hundred meters, and you were yelling, like, she's getting stuck outside, this is not going to work. And she came off that last curve and, boom, had another gear. So Something I didn't realize at the time, that was at NCAA number three all time. All time, time right? Carisha Schweitzer set the record last year. Number three all time from Alicia Monson. Great day to be Bucky Badger. In the women's Wanamaker Mile, it was Coco Klosterhalfen. Coco goes 4.19.98. Sixth fastest indoor mile ever by a woman. What a performance once again by the young German prodigy who took it to Jenny Simpson at New Balance Indoor just a couple weeks earlier. Also, Colleen Quigley from the U.S., Fantastic performance in second place. In second place, uh, three seconds back, but still a great race. Starting to sniff around Mary Decker's U.S. indoor mile record. And she was so far out of the picture for a lot of this race. Almost four-second lead for Coco with 400 meters to go. Right, so you don't even see the competition, but Colleen Quigley is closing hard and had herself a great race, but two really dominant performances up front and the Wanamaker Miles, Yomif Kajelcha and Coco Klosterhalfen. All right, let's turn to the road now. We have a new half marathon European record. From our boy, the freshest haircut on the roads. <laughs> Julian Wanders, the Swiss sensation. We discussed this con- this topic like four months ago. We did when we compared Mo and Moen, and then we brought Julian into the Yes, if and when... Julian Wanders could break this European half record. I think we put a number on what he would run. We did put a number on what he would run. I went back and listened. No. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were pretty close. Now, we actually predicted what we thought the best he could get to was. Yes. And he beat both of our predictions I already think, in I this think race. I had him tying it. Yes, you had him as a push on the European record. I had him breaking Moe's record but not this fast. Uh, the question now becomes, can he go below 59 minutes in the half marathon? This was at the RAK half. Uh, he was one of 11 men to go sub 60 minutes in a half marathon. Which is the most ever. Most ever. First time in racing history we've seen 11 guys sub 60. Wanders doesn't win the race in setting this record. I loved his comments afterwards. Did you see this? Oh, was this when they told him how does it feel about, or asked him how does it feel being the fastest non-African half marathoner? Right, fastest non-African half marathoner ever, and he replies with, "I don't care about being the fastest non-African half marathoner." Right, because what's the goal? 
being the fastest. He simply here. wants to be the fastest man in the world, and he said he's got to go back and get to work and get better. So I loved that response. And keep in mind, this kid's 23 years old. Right, still a young pup. He has said that the 10K and the half are still the short-term focus. But moving forward, it be really fun to see what he can do in a marathon near you, maybe in the 2024 Olympic cycle. It does excite me that he is staying low and concentrating on what he's good on now. Yeah. It's easy to fall victim to this pressure of all the media that's saying oh he did this at half and people who've done this at the half typically do this for the marathon but i think he and his coaches are being wise by uh waiting he's 23 years old let's run fast while we can yeah and he's he's clearly shown continued great growth in this event and improvement i think his target is let's master these abilities now and then carry that over we have seen plenty of runners who are incredible half marathoners who don't necessarily translate the same way into the marathon and he's taking his time becoming the best he can here he's your new european record holder breaking sir mo's record we've seen what sir mo's done in the marathon now right he has that european record maybe julian wanders targets that someday in the future also Late breaking tidbit here as we're recording. Did you see what our man Ritz did this morning? No, I didn't. Dathan Ritzenhine in the Rock and Roll New Orleans half got a win in 61 low, I think it was. And a 61.20-ish, I think. Is he Uh, working with Walt Drenth now? So Ritz is back in Michigan, where it all began for him, and working with uh, the Brooks team. The target is still a... 2020 olympic berth in the marathon i still think he's got a shot if he can stay healthy we've seen him break down time and time again but maybe one last hurrah for him and atlanta at the trials too because as we've said time and again beyond galen rupp no one has established himself as a certainty it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch that race and to make our wildly i'm sure inaccurate predictions beforehand yes I don't want to jump the gun because Ritz ran 61. Yeah. Because when we think about it, people like Reed Fisher, who sure, they've done is it relatively too. unknown, yeah. has also ran 61. But it's the fact it's the Ritz name that we're like, ooh, he's in the mix. Yeah, maybe he's back. And I know us and probably a million other running fans have over the past decade said maybe he's back. But Oh, countless times. Yeah, but... Good on him, and overall we can take away and say at his age to be out there competing, to hopefully be healthy again with the new team, it's quite an accomplishment. And even if Mm -hmm. he never does what some people dreamed he might do, he has had one heck of a career. I think it'd be a really fun way to cap it off to see him in the Olympics one more time. Absolutely. All right, one of the guys who is going to be gunning for Ritz at the trials in Atlanta is going to join us now, Ryan Root, our special guest, on a call we recorded earlier this week post his incredible performance at Houston. We are excited to welcome in Ryan Root, recent Olympic marathon trials qualifier with a 216.40 at Houston in January. He was the second American finisher in that race. 
Ryan ran professionally in upstate South Carolina with the Greenville Track Club Elite before moving on to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we are so happy to have him here. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Travis. Glad to be here. How are things going? How is the uh, post-race euphoria? Oh, it's uh, a lot different than the other races. All the other marathons, I was looking forward to the next one, and this one, I've been able to kind of sit back and really soak it all in, and it's been a been a great last couple of weeks. Training's taken a backseat, and I've been able to focus on coaching a little bit more and being around the kids a little more, so it's been great. Awesome. Let's start in Houston. Uh, describe that race for us, how it all unfolded. Well, the uh, beginning was a madhouse. I was in the athlete development program, so we were started behind the elites, and I was probably about 10 or 15 rows back from the starting line when the gun went off. So a lot of uh, the half marathoners and the other marathoners, you know, kind of corralled in in front of me. And I I, I was happy I got that five seconds back on the chip time. Yeah, when I saw <laughs> that, it was a little surprising for a guy as fast as you to have that big of a difference between the gun and chip time, right? Yeah, yeah. But the first mile was just bobbing and weaving, trying to get through the crowds and find my stride, but it went by in a flash. And I ran the entire race with one of my old teammates, um, Travis Morrison, who's training out in Salt Lake City. And he and I had kind of planned on getting our Olympic trial mark together. So we finally found each other around mile two and started clicking off the pace and rolled up on a group, said that they were trying to run the qualifier. So we're like, okay, we'll just sit here and, uh, Lo and behold, there was a little bit of a Greenville connection in that pack. Uh, yeah. Cole, Ag- Cole Atkins was there, and he was kind of the the marshal of the group, making sure that we weren't going too fast or too slow. And there were a few miles that I was pushing a little bit too much. And <laughs> he, he would kind of reel me back, and I'm like, okay, I've had this issue before where I go out a little too fast when I'm feeling good. So maybe it's good having someone reel me in a little bit. Yeah. But sat with the group for... 12 miles, hit the half marathon turnaround, and I think the clock said 69.30, so we're right on qualifying pace, but up to about mile 15, I just, I had not looked at my watch even once, so I had no idea the pace, you know, that was the first clock I really kind of had any bearing on what we were running, and I didn't panic at all, just kind of went through it, and my buddy Travis said, I, I think we're slowing down. We got to pick it back up right after the half mark. So he and I separated from the group and we ran shoulder to shoulder. I ran into my rough patch around mile 14 and it was a little early to be feeling iffy, but we we're going into the winds. I knew if I could just get to mile 18, we'd turn back and have it more or less a cross breeze. But all I had to do was get to mile 18 and I get a little bit of reprieve, but didn't really help my legs feel any better up until that point, but Travis really dragged me through, kept me close. And I, I was never more than probably three strides off of him, but he did a lot of the work to make sure we were still on pace. So we turned, got to 18. We were, it was just the two of us, which was great. You know, in college, we'd run so many workouts together. We'd spent so much time running together that it just seemed natural at that point. Got to about 20. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that was almost a sub five minute mile. I, you know, I had finally started to look at my watch and I was a little bit surprised to see <laughs> that. So 
we started just clicking off these five O's. You know, I think I had a 1530 5K from 30 to 35. And that was just the most unreal feeling because I kept waiting and waiting for that that wall to come and hit me again because neither Travis or I had any bottles out on the course. We were just taking sips of Gatorade. I had two gels in my pocket that I took at 10K and 15 miles. So it, it kind of felt like, you know, we were right on that cusp of we're going really fast and we still got a decent bit of a way to go to the finish, but we're feeling good. Let's keep riding this out. Got to 23 miles and I felt incredible. You know, every other marathon I'd run, it was hold on, hold on, get to the finish. Don't let the pace slip too much, but here we were running five O's and I was feeling fantastic and had Travis right there by my side. But right around 23, he started to feel his uh, his rough patch. Probably his was a little more natural than mine. And we, uh, I, I kind of pulled ahead and kept trying to usher him along. And I didn't really, I was trying to do math along the way, but I couldn't really <laughs> think clearly enough. All I knew was, all right, we're well under pace. We got this. And we hit the uh, last K through the city. And he pulled back up on my shoulder, and I we high-fived him like, we're going to do this, man. We got it. I saw another runner from uh, Zap Fitness up ahead, and I could just recognize his form. We'd raced a couple times. And I turned to Travis, I'm like, I think I can go get him. <laughs> and he's like, all right, let's try. You know, <laughs> you know, I've never kicked at the end of a marathon, but right around probably 300 meters to go, I was just in an all-out sprint. And I, it, it felt so powerful and strong to come through the finish line and not just be holding on. And, you know, probably 50 meters before the line, I see the clock and it was just a massive three minute PR. I could barely really soak it all in until I saw the clock and saw that it was going to be such a big PR. I just threw up my hands and I celebrated that last 50 meters so shamelessly, <laughs> but it was, it was so great to be able to run a race as confidently and negative split and do everything that we did together with me and Travis. You know, I, I wouldn't change a single thing about that race. Yeah. What an awesome experience to be able to share that with your teammate from college and get that experience of, of coming through together and both making the trials. When did you know within the race that I'm going to make it? And how did that feel when that moment finally struck you? Uh, it was probably about 22-ish. I noticed that I wasn't spending a lot more energy running five O's that is like, okay, you know, even if I do slow down a little bit, which would be natural, I got such mm -hmm. a buffer. I think at 22, I was, I had a minute, minute and a half on, you know, the qualifying mark that I was like, if I start running five forties, I, I think I'm still going to be okay. <laughs> right. And yeah. It, because I felt so strong and powerful and I wasn't holding on anymore. And I was really just running and embracing the race as a whole. It, you know, I, I did get a chance to spend those last three or four miles like, yeah, I'm going to do it. This is this is great. That is a, a moment every runner 
hopes for at the end of a marathon, regardless of their goal, being able to embrace it, as you said, and soak that in those last few miles, rather than just grinding to get to the finish. You know, when I looked at your splits there from the race, it's obvious, as you said, you were closing really strong. And that was a big difference for you from previous really close attempts in Indianapolis and in Chicago. What did you learn from those last two marathons when you were so close to the standard that you were able to translate into your success in Houston? Well, I'll probably have to start with, uh, with Indianapolis. It was my first, first race after leaving Greenville Elite, and I was kind of on my own training again. And I really had to figure out how to approach the workouts I was doing in the summer, you know, completely alone. Cause with the group, I'd always had a team. I'd always had a coach to kind of guide me through everything at Indianapolis. It was more, I had gotten in some really good long runs and I knew that I could, I could run the distance better than I had before, but it was still kind of an unknown and ended up running two nineteen fifty. And I walked out like, okay, I'm only a minute short and I have a lot more work I can do in training. And it felt like it was like that perfect learning experience where you hit a huge PR, but you also had a lot more left to be desired. So I uh, worked on some half marathon training this last spring, and I feel like I helped kind of develop that speed buffer a little bit more. And I felt comfortable running a faster pace, although I probably over raced a little bit. I ended up running a 66, 28 PR in the half last June at grandma's half marathon up in Duluth, Minnesota. So going into the summer, I found out that I was put in the, uh, the elite field or the professional field at Chicago. And I spent the entire summer getting pretty pumped up about, you know, getting to take the line with guys like Galen Rupp and Mo Farah, Aaron Braun, all those guys that, you know, you kind of look up to when you're, when you're running. Sure. And it just seemed like, okay, this is going to be the stage that I go out and I get my qualifier. And it was probably the best treatment I'd ever gotten as an athlete. You know, they flew me out. They had me picked up in a car from the uh, airport and drove me to the hotel, put me up in a hotel for three nights, gave me per diem for, um, for meals and everything, and just really took care of me. And I was like, wow, I'd I don't think I really deserve this, but this is awesome. (laughs) Um, But I kind of, I think I let the stage get to me a little bit at Chicago. And I, I mentioned that I didn't look at my watch for the first 15 miles or so of Houston. And it was the complete opposite at Chicago. I was checking my watch every mile. I was trying to make sure, okay, let's even split this. This is going to be the best way we can do it. And I could not let go of my watch. I remember being at mile 10 and just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm 10 seconds off. I got to make this up right now. I got to mile 18 and I had a hip injury, which I can get into a little bit later, but had a hip injury that just basically my right glute stopped firing and I more or less jogged the rest of the race. And it was just this totally defeating moment that I was like, what went wrong here? After a couple of weeks of reflection about Chicago, I was uh, on the massage table with uh, Derek Jones at Tulsa Spine and Rehab, and he's been great about helping 
keep me healthy and working out the kinks and being a mentor and in terms of the health aspect of training when I'm all alone. So (laughs) I, I was on the table and he's like, yeah, I, I think there were more things than just your training that went into Chicago. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, two weeks before Chicago, I was in a car wreck and Mm -hmm. my car was totaled. I, a lady pulled out in front of me, uh, as I was going through an intersection, she basically didn't yield on a, on a green light turned right out in front of me. I was going about 40 and I just T-boned her and the entire front of my car was totally smashed in my airbags deployed. And I, I remember sitting in the car like, Oh my God, are my legs broken? Like I, I <laughs> couldn't feel anything at the time. And I'm just like, how bad is it? I don't want to move. And there I'm just sitting in this kind of hazy car and the airbags are in my face. And there were ones that deployed at my legs and everyone's rushing up to the window like, Hey, are you, are you okay? And I, I remember popping the door open just to make sure it could open in case something caught fire. And I just kind of flipped up my hand like, I'm, I'm okay, I think. Let me just, I got to <laughs> breathe for a second here. And I, I got out of the car. I was, I was uninjured, except I had some nasty scrapes down my shins from the airbag deploying. Or taking those first few steps, like, are my legs broken? I, I don't want to, you know, hurt anything. And the funny thing is, I had had a tremendous workout. I was driving back from a tremendous workout and I was like, here we go. That was the last big one before Chicago. We're going to do this. And then boom, car wreck. And and I end up having to bike around to work and practice for the next few days. And I strained my hip. I strained my uh, medial glutes. And I remember getting it worked on every couple days. And I was in the training room at Tulsa and they were fantastic about fitting me in, even though, more of a coach than an athlete <laughs> in their eyes, <laughs> but they did a great job of trying to fix it. But at mile 18 of Chicago, it just wasn't holding up anymore. And a few weeks later, when I went to go see Derek again, he said, yeah, I think that car accident had a lot more to do with it than you think. And I took a few days and weeks to kind of build my mileage back up. But a few days after Chicago, I was adamant about, I'm going to run Houston. I'm going to do it. And I had a a little bit of a back and forth with myself because my hip was still injured after the race. And I probably did a good amount of damage to it in the race. But I was like, I can do this. I got 12 weeks after Chicago. I can go after Houston. I just got to do some things I'd never done before. So I bumped my mileage way up. I was running 140, 130 miles a week. I had three miles at 140, or sorry, three weeks at 140 miles or more and two weeks at 130 or more. And that does include a down week for the week I was married in December. So <laughs> yeah, I had had to make some concessions on that one, but I'm sure my <laughs> wife's happy that I didn't go out for a 20 mile or the morning of our wedding. So, <laughs> so no, I, I think I learned a lot from Chicago and Indy, just, just really letting go of the pacing aspect of the race and really racing it. You know, I definitely did some things different with training going into Houston that I learned, but I think those are things that athletes in general learn. Just the more you run a race, you you kind of pick up on, hey, I need to make a tweak here to training. I need to make a tweak there. And another thing I did was I, I said I let go of pacing in the race. I also let go in the workouts. 
you know, before mm-hmm. I was, okay, well, what's half pace? What's marathon pace? You know, what should I run these K's in or these miles in? And I just said, why am I worrying about this? The, the plan is to run hard. So I'm going to get good at running hard and, you know, work in that comfort zone a little bit more and make myself do things that I didn't think I could do. One of the biggest workouts I did was I did a four mile tempo, five minutes rest, four by mile with three minutes, and then another four mile tempo. And I remember going in and my legs were shot and I was talking to my coach. I'm like, Hey, I don't know how well tomorrow's going to (laughs) go. He (laughs) had, he had run about marathon pace. I'm like, I don't know how easy that's going to be. And I'm like, okay, I'm, this is what I'll do. I'm not going to try to run marathon pace. I'm going to run whatever I feel like for the first tempo. And then whatever the miles are, they are. And then whatever the last tempo is, just hopefully it's faster than the first one. And that's mm-hmm. all I went into the workout with. And I ended up running 2055 for the first four mile, which is 514 pace for those of your listeners that don't want to screw around with a calculator while listening <laughs> to this. And then I went 502, 449, 444, 436. And mind you, I don't think I've broken 450 for a mile, you know, in a year and a half. <laughs> willingly. <laughs> yeah. it, just, it was just one of those workouts where I just, I remember thinking, don't worry about it so much. Just go out and run and whatever you run, you, you run. And I really surprised myself. I think that mentality was probably the biggest change is I stopped overanalyzing things. That is great advice for everyone. Let's take it back to the start. What got you into running to begin with? Oh, uh, is probably that I was reasonably good at it compared to the other sports I played. I wasn't much of a basketball player. I like to tell people I never scored a goal in soccer in the three or four years that I was in the youth league. I loved baseball. I actually played baseball up until my sophomore year of high school, so I didn't run track my freshman year. And I, I think running was just always kind of that sport where I didn't have to worry about getting selected for a lineup. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I got to prove that I, you know, I deserve to be there. You weren't the coach's son situation anymore. So I kind of liked that aspect of it. And I was reasonably good at it compared to my peers. So that was definitely a driving force. But growing up in central Illinois, we were in a, the middle class in uh, Illinois. There's only three classes. We were in the middle class and we weren't a very good team. My freshman year, I was the second best runner on the team, but one of my mentors, and we don't keep in touch as much as we should, but Eric Simpson was probably the biggest factor in getting me to really dedicate myself to running. He was the one that would drag, he was the upperclassman that dragged me out of bed every, in the summer, every morning, say, okay, we're going to run. You know, even when he graduated, he was on top of what was I doing? How was I training? Was I taking care of myself? And eventually kind of just grew into a lifestyle. And my junior and senior year of high school, I, I excelled and I was our first All-Stater ever in the history of my high school in cross country. So it was cool to make that. And I started to look forward to college. And because I wasn't on a very good high school team, I, was, I really wanted to be a part of a, a team, be accountable, you know, have other guys push me. And as I was looking at schools, I was recruited by a few Division One schools. I turned down a few offers. 
I actually got a scholarship offer that I would have loved to take to uh, Vanderbilt out of high school, but I would I didn't have the grades to get admitted, so that was a bummer. <laughs> but uh, ended up, you know, ended up in North Central College, you know, Division three. There's no athletic scholarship, but they were the cream of the crop, and I kind of said, well, if I want to run in Division three, I'm going to run for the best team. I want that challenge, and it took. It took until my junior year until I finally made a national lineup because our team was always so deep. And I was I was traveling my sophomore year as an alternate, but my junior year made the national meet, and it was a tremendous experience. Not if you go look at the results, I blew up <laughs> at the national meet. <laughs> I remember our coaches telling us, hey, we're, the, the race is going to go out slow. It was in Terre Haute, Indiana. The race is going to go out slow. Stay back, stay back. Don't get sucked in. And for anyone that knows Terre Haute, you have a basically a thousand meters straight away at the start. And we took off and I was like, okay, stay patient, sit in the back, you know, not all the way back, but near the back. And I heard the the people at the K mark yelling out splits. I heard 255 and I looked back and there was maybe 10 people behind me. I'm like, oh my God, this is absurd. <laughs> like I better start moving. And I, I kind of panicked and I tried to pick people off and I went from like 220th or something to I ended up 143rd but it's one of those experiences where I walked out of there like I am so much better than that I don't know what happened but I'm going to get to work to make sure that doesn't happen again and and North Central you know the the uh, expectation every year was go win a national title in cross country that was the be all end all of the team goal, you know, a lot of people look at conference championships, which I think North Central is now a number 40, 42, 43 in a row. And that was always kind of an afterthought. We always joked that was the easiest meet of the year. You always look forward to nationals because that was the defining factor of how good was your team? How low did you score at nationals? And the funny thing is, you know, our senior year, we thought we were the better team. We The whole year, we thought we were the best team out there. And we were just going to steamroll everyone. And we went out at the national meet. And we had Johnny Crane, who now runs for Zap. He was second place. And it was kind of a bummer because we expected him to win. But he lost a close race individually. And we had another guy in 10th. And I was our fifth guy. And I remember kicking home like there was no tomorrow. Because I was like, I'm not going to be the reason that we Mm -hmm. lose. And I picked off so many people on the home straight. And we were all huddled together in the chute looking at the big board. And St. Olaf College was listed at 84 points. North Central College was 86. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, no. Like, maybe they haven't taken the individuals out. I remember standing there with them like, this this isn't good. Maybe they'll change it, though. And we stood there. And so they're finally, our coaches kind of corralled us up. Like, hey, let's get to the tent. The board wasn't changing. The only thing that was being added were more teams and the scores just weren't changing. So we eventually found out that St. Olaf had just jumped us at the beginning. They got five, five or six guys in the top 30 through the first 5k. And even though they were kind of falling apart at the end, we, that was just a deficit we couldn't make up. I think that alongside with that very first national experience, you know, I couldn't be more happy with what I learned at North central even though it took until my very last race to accomplish anything as an individual, you know, there were definitely some team moments that 
I still look back on and, you know, there's a reason why I really cherish the way Houston went down with Travis, you know, at North Central, that team culture is you're going to do it together. You know, there's no, there's no I in team, if you will. So to be able to, for both of us to get our first Olympic trial qualifier together, that was just surreal. Yeah. North Central is certainly the preeminent Division three distance running program. Could you describe quickly what has made that program so dominant over the years? What you might take away from your experience in your four years there? I could get into the workouts and I could list a few for you, but I think the biggest thing is just the team culture that mm-hmm. we're a lot of people say we refuse to be outworked. Well, the workouts we do at North Central, there is no finessing it. There's no you know, let's make it pretty, let's make it fast. You know, we do a lot of year round workouts that are just for lack of a better term, ball busters. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you can't, you can't get your way through it unless you're aerobically fit. And I think that prioritizing aerobic fitness over everything else has really given us uh, that dominance at the division three level, you know, at Div- in the division three ranks, you're not always getting, the top kids out of high school. So it, when you develop them aerobically, you give them a little more room to grow instead of just trying to work with natural foot speed. And like I said, finessing it, but in the fall, we do very basic workouts. You do a tempo and then mile repeats on Monday. Then Wednesday you come back and you do a tempo and then six hill repeats up this monster of a hill at uh, Blackwell forest preserve. And my teammates would make fun of me because I was always dry heaving the first year that I was doing the Blackwell <laughs> workouts. And they're like, dude, you still have a fart like to go. So you finish up with a fart like, and then if you didn't race on Friday, you did quarter repeats. You did a long run on Saturday. Sunday was your day. But there was just this constant needing of the, the muscles and aerobic system that you're really, it was sink or swim. You're you're going to adapt to it or you weren't. And with such a big team, there were a lot of people that didn't, that type of training didn't work well for them. But I think it was that the team accountability and saying, this is what the team's doing. You don't get this special pass because you did X, Y, or Z in high school. Like this is the way the team works out. Do it or do it or don't. And a lot of people quit the team because they felt like it, it wasn't, working for them and that's fine but the people that bought in you may not have run as fast or you know reached the level that you could with smarter training I think some people would say but you really bonded over those grinder workouts and getting through the long tempos together and working the intervals together and being on the exact same schedule week in and week out that I think it really fostered that culture of we're going to be tougher than anyone else, really. Yeah. Maybe carry that mentality into the race of we've packed up through a tempo hill fartlek workout, which as you said, you can't finesse all that stuff. Yeah. And then come, come into a race when you need those points and everybody's sticking together and fighting together. I could see the value there. Yeah, definitely. So, After your time at North Central later on, you came to Greenville 
and mm-hmm. ran for GTC Elite. What are your favorite memories of running in Greenville? Honestly, I still miss um, Tuxedo going up oh, into yeah. the, uh, going up into the mountains and cranking out that 15k loop. That was 100% my favorite place to run, and uh, I te- technically it was North Carolina, but. When yeah. I was living in Greenville, that was my favorite place to run just because you got the soft surfaces around the lake and you got the the hills that were tough, but it was something to kind of look forward to during the long runs, nice landmarks. But other than Tuxedo, I really remember um, the races. I love doing Reedy River, which I know is coming up here in a few months. That was a phenomenal event. And then the Swamp Rabbit Half were my former PR was, or that mm-hmm. was, we always joke, me and my coach, that you only get a few races to uh, feel like everything's going right, everything's clicking, and you really got to cherish those. And the Swamp Rabbit Half was one of them. I remember coming through uh, Traveler's Rest, I'm like, okay, all we got to do is get get to downtown, get to downtown and we're done. And <laughs> I, I think I PR'd by like two minutes in that race, but it was... It was great. I ended up losing to Ricky Flynn, who's yeah. no no slouch at all. And I'm sure a lot of your Greenville listeners know him from the local race scene. Yeah, we've had Ricky on the show, and uh, he certainly has put up a number of great performances, including one at the trials. So hopefully you can yeah. follow in his footsteps there. And that uh, run up in Tuxedo around Lake Summit, we've talked about that a few times on the show. That is a, a great place to run. Absolutely. Tough to beat. Yeah, yeah um, it is. What are you doing now in Tulsa? I am the kind of graduate assistant coach (laughs) for the uh, track and cross country team. I say kind of because when I was applying for the position, I found out I had about two weeks to take an entrance exam for a program and apply, you know, before the deadline. So I crammed and crammed and it, (laughs) it didn't really, uh, materialized to a good test score and I remember calling the coach I'm like hey I bombed the test I did not do well and he's like well you know what if you want to coach like we want to develop coaches so we can we'll bring you on we'll pay you the graduate assistant salary and you just don't go to class I'm like sign me up 100% (laughs) give me some more time to train and get to uh, get to be around the kids you know I I really do love coaching and it's I think my college coach, Al Carius, set a really good example with how you treat kids and how to build a good culture. And he's going to be one of those guys. I, I don't see him ever retiring. He is, he's going he's gonna to go out at practice or at a meet. I just, that's my feeling. But he is, he is so devoted to the team and the athletes and running that I, I really admire that. And I kind of joke with my wife that I'll, I'm getting into a profession I'll probably never retire from. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm coaching, training, doing the, uh, the same old thing I was doing at uh, Greenville. I just get to coach. So what's next? What's your plan leading up to the trials? Do you have any races scheduled coming up? What are your thoughts for the next year before Atlanta? So it's been a while since I've been on the track. So I'm right now I'm entered in the Portland Track Festival 10K. And oh, that's great. in June. 
And then the uh, the half at grandma's again, because they do a phenomenal job of taking care of athletes and really, you know, putting on a great event. So I'll be there again for the half. And right now I have the Brian Clay 5000 on my schedule. I do have to uh, get clearance from the coaching staff. That's okay because I will miss a practice for that. But if not, I'll probably go up to and do the uh, Kansas relays or something like that just to get a good track effort in. But hopefully hitting some faster times than my, uh, you know, bring everything up to where that marathon PR is now because everything else sure. is pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got uh, the Twin Cities right now is the plan for uh, the fall. Get on okay. a hillier course. Don't worry about time so much since that's already taken care of and just race get out there on a hilly course and race. Super. So let's go ahead to the bell lap with Ryan. Some quick questions for you, Ryan. Uh, How much do you sleep per night? Uh, Nine hours, ideally. Very good number. (laughs) 11. Oh, I'm jealous. I love that. (laughs) What shoes are you training in right now? And what are you racing in? Right now, I, I'm breaking in a brand new pair of uh, Hoka Clifton 5s, but I've okay. run in pretty much everything. Um, but the Cliftons have been great. And my racing shoe, shorter stuff, I love the New Balance 1400. And for the marathon, I've been running in the uh, Vaporfly 4% from Nike. Your favorite running book? Uh, a lot of people would probably say Once a Runner. And I'd love to say once a runner, but just to break the mold a little bit, I'm going to go best efforts by Kenny Moore. Oh, great. Yeah. Former Oregon star, Kenny Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Sports Illustrated writer. Uh, Your go-to pre-race meal. Ooh, just coffee. If it's a marathon, I'll do like shot blocks or, you know, some sort of energy chew, but just coffee. Keep it light. What about the night before? I really don't do anything special. Okay. I try just not to eat a lot of protein. That's a, yeah. nothing too heavy in the stomach. And then to flip it to the end of the race, what about a post-race craving? Uh, I'm a sucker for uh, the gummy peach rings, peachos. Oh, yeah, okay. They're fantastic. <laughs> a little, little thing to look forward to after the race. Nice. We haven't had that answer before. I like that one. <laughs> And you've lived all over the country. What is your favorite place to run? Not just maybe a city, but a kind of specific training spot that you've really enjoyed. Uh, it's not somewhere I've lived, but I went out to the uh, Olympic trials in 2012 to watch the track meet. And I found this park called Hendricks Park. It's on the other side of uh, Pree's Rock, which a lot of runners yes. will recognize. And it's just this phenomenal trail. It's a little bit of a wider gravel path that just winds up and down through these bluffs, super tall trees, nice, you know, uh, every now and then you'll hit a patch of pine needles. But when we were out in Eugene watching the trials, I just love that park. And I hope to go back someday. Yeah, I a lot of great places to run in Eugene, but I will second your recommendation there. I have run that as well. And yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. And good luck over the course of this year. Congratulations on both the trials qualifier, but also the new marriage. And we are excited also to get to see you run in Atlanta next year. Can't wait to come watch. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. 
So that'll do it for mile 25 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast. Thanks again to Ryan for joining us. And if you have any thoughts or questions, as always, please contact us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And just a sneak peek, our Man Ben Sessions is quickly rounding back into racing form. Distance still to be determined, but I'm guaranteeing the fans there will soon be a race report (laughs) from a Ben Sessions race. So we look forward to that in the near future. Everybody have a great week. Benjamin, pleasure as always. We'll talk to everybody soon.